Okay, so we are in week number three of the book of Acts, and uh, I love the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit continuing the work of Jesus through uh, his apostles. Uh, What we see, we've said it the last few weeks, what we see in the book of Acts is uh, bold faith, intense opposition, and the explosive power of the gospel. We'll see all 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 three of those things in chapter four today. Uh, So a couple other things I want to mention about the book of Acts that you ought to know. Uh, We are going into chapter four, and so maybe I should have mentioned these a couple weeks ago. A couple things to know I think are helpful as we navigate this book of the Bible. Number one is that it's the history of the early church. It's a historical account of of how God birthed and grew the early church. Uh, And so we see uh, all kinds of amazing things happen. But we have to keep in mind, because it's it's a record of history, um, this book is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. In other words, it describes things that happen, but it doesn't necessarily say this is the way things will always be done or the way that God will always work. So it's, it's about the history of the early church, but also number two, and this plays into what we said number one, is it's transitional. It's a transitional book of the Bible. So there's a lot of transition taking place. So if you just think about your own life and the different transitions you've made from maybe elementary to uh, middle school and into high school and from high school into college, maybe from being uh, at home to being independent, living on your own, or maybe you've transitioned from one job to another. Life is full of transitions. And the book of Acts is, is a book of, of transition. So let me give you a, a kind of some thoughts there. We, we move from the Gospels where Jesus was the primary character doing his work on earth to this this new way in the book of Acts where his Holy Spirit is the one who comes and fills believers and does his work. So the primary player in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. We move from the primary audience of the gospel message from the Jews, the Jewish people, to to Gentiles. Um, Did I skip one? No, I didn't. From Jews to Gentiles. So the Jewish people, God's, the nation of Israel is the primary audience for the gospel and it moves to Gentiles, those who are outside of the nation of Israel. You also see uh, along with that, um, this transition from Israel as God's people to the church, Jew and Gentile together as one in the church. And so the church becomes uh, the main body of God's people. Uh, You also see this transition from early on in the book from the apostle Peter, who is the apostle to the Jewish people. And over the course of the first seven, eight, nine chapters, you see this transition begin to take place where uh, Peter is, transitions to the Apostle Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles. So you see this kind of shift in leadership throughout the book. You see the main leaders of the church being the, the apostles early on to, to as churches get planted and started all over elders and deacons begin to lead the church. Uh, And so you see all of these transitions. And it's important for you to be aware of that as you read through the book of Acts because, man, there's so much stuff that is in transition. And so we want to be careful that we don't just pull stuff out of Acts and say, well, this is how we do things because there's all kinds of of transitions taking place here. So be aware of that as you work through the book of Acts. But today in particular... We're going to focus on belief, the word belief. So 
What comes to your mind when I say the word belief? Just, just think about different, there's all kinds of things. Uh, our culture in particular, uh, I would say the driving mindset and worldview of our culture is to believe in yourself, right? Believe in yourself. But we also think of obviously religious or spiritual beliefs. Uh, we see in our culture political beliefs uh, play a big part in people's behavior, right? Educational beliefs, how do I uh, educate my children? Healthy lifestyle beliefs, what I put in uh, to my body or how I uh, use my body, healthy lifestyle. Um, we think about songs uh, that involve belief. Uh, do you believe in life after love? Does that ring a bell, anybody? It's an old, like 1998 share song. I know who grew up in the 90s, all right, or was alive in the 90s. Um, the, the one I think of, like right off the bat, is "Don't Stop What Believing." We're going back in time, 1981 journey. Um, so, like, just go on to Spotify and look up "Belief," and there's all kinds or "Believing." You see all kinds of songs there. Uh, but really, belief is so central to every single one of our lives. Your life, when you think about it, is guided by uh, a system of beliefs. What you do, what you don't do, is based on what you believe. But today, in particular, we're going to talk about biblical belief. What is biblical belief? Uh, what, is it, what does it produce in our lives? And so the title this morning is No Other Name Acts chapter 4, no other name. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the scriptures, all right? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the truth of scripture that brings us together, that unites us in Christ. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we just have to gather around your word with one another, that we can hear uh, what you have revealed to us as truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, as we open your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds uh, Lord, help us to receive whatever it is that you want to uh, say to us today, whatever we need to hear from you. Lord, whether it's encouragement, whether it's exhortation, uh, Lord, whether it's conviction um, that you want to bring in our life, God, help us to be people who receive what you have to say to us today. So, Lord, as we open up Acts chapter, eight, uh, Acts chapter 4, would you reveal things to us? Would you speak to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a, a bird's eye view summary of, of Acts chapter 4. We came off of Acts chapter 3 where Peter has healed uh, a beggar. Remember at the temple gate, he heals him. Uh, he preaches the gospel message. Um, we see as we, as we get into the beginning of chapter 4 that the result of that preaching was 5,000 people coming to Christ. In fact, it actually says 5,000 men. So there was probably many more people. So if you trace, if you trace the history of the church, we started uh, back in chapter 1 with 120 disciples in the upper room. Then the Holy Spirit comes the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, fills believers. Peter preaches the gospel. It says that 3,000 people come to Christ. Uh, and then here we are again where Peter heals someone, preaches the gospel. 5,000 more come to Christ. So the church has grown uh, in these few chapters from 120 disciples to uh, probably upwards of 10,000 people. And so we see the explosive power of the gospel already at work here. So... Peter preaches this message, 5,000 people uh, plus come to Christ. Peter and John uh, are immediately arrested, and they're questioned, and they're threatened for uh, what they're preaching, what they're proclaiming, and, and they're eventually released because there's nothing that can be done with them. And so they return to their people, to the church. They report what's taken place with them. 
The Bible says in Acts 4 that they, they begin to pray. They pray for boldness. And the, the, the place in which they're gathered begins to, to shake. And the Holy Spirit fills all of them. And Acts chapter 4 ends with really a, a replay of what we saw at the end of Acts chapter 2. After those 3,000 people came to Christ, it says all those disciples came together and were unified and had all things in common. They shared their stuff. They were selfless uh, with one another, and there's this unity. And we see that same thing play out at the end of Acts chapter 4. Now, I want to go to Acts chapter 4, and I want to read through uh, verses 1 through 12. So if you want to pull that uh, up, we'll read through these first 12 verses uh, and I want us to, to see some things uh, about um, belief. Um, actually, you know what? Before we even get there, uh, no, no, no. We'll read it. We'll read it. I'm all, I was up too late last night. All right. Here's Acts chapter 4, verse number 1. Uh, it says this. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And, and these, are, these are, this is the elite of the elite religious people gathered here and it says verse 2 greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead now a main group there is the Sadducees religious um, leaders who denied the resurrection of the dead and so they're it says greatly annoyed by what's taking place because they're preaching Jesus and the resurrection from the dead verse 3 and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. So they're, they're gathered before this, this uh, Jewish high court, or kind of like the supreme court, uh, called the Sanhedrin, made up of 70 religious leaders. And because they met in the morning, uh, the night before was when Peter and John were arrested. They were detained until the morning when the Sanhedrin gathered. So on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them, Peter and John, in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now they're referring to the healing of, of the beggar that we saw last week. Verse number eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well, uh, standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Y'all, Peter brings it. Here stands Peter and John, these two men in the midst of, of this, this huge crowd of religious elite leaders, 70. And man, he proclaims the name of, of Jesus. And, and it's an amazing moment. But how did they, how did they get here? How did they even get into this predicament? 
Well, it happened because they were preaching the gospel, right? They were proclaiming the name of Jesus. Well, why were they proclaiming the name of Jesus to put them in this place? It was because of a belief. It was, it was because of something down deep inside them that provoked them, that compelled them to speak the name of Jesus. It was belief. It was conviction. So let me, let me ask and answer a question. What is biblical belief? Here, here's how I would define it. Biblical belief is full confidence in Christ alone to save you from your sin. Biblical belief is full confidence, like 100% confidence in Christ alone to save you from your sin. What, what this means is there is no one else. There is nothing else that has to be done that could wipe away my, 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 my sins. It's Christ and Christ alone. Only he can save me. This is, this is biblical belief. And, and you see Peter, man, he keeps going back to, every time Peter speaks, every time Peter preaches in the book of Acts, he always goes back to the resurrection, the, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He always goes to the gospel. Look back at, at verse number 10. In, in the midst of this questioning, like, by what name or what, by what power have you done this? And man, he, he, he makes it very clear, verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So he goes back to Jesus, crucified, Jesus raised. He is the one. And he continues, verse number 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. This fulfills uh, what is exact same thing that's said in Psalm 118, verse 22, that this one would be rejected, but he is the cornerstone. He is the one on which the whole church is built. He is the foundation. He is the one. And so he points to Jesus. Verse number 12. Here it is. He says this. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is, say these three words with me, no other name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He says there's no other name. And let me introduce you to a, a phrase a phrase of theology that you need to be aware of. It's the exclusivity, the exclusivity of Christ. The exclusivity of Christ. What that means is that Christ, he's exclusive. He is one and only. There is no other name under heaven by which we are to be saved. We can't find forgiveness in any other God, any other name. We can't find salvation or forgiveness of our sins from anything that we do. This is why we call it the finished work of Christ because when he died on the cross, he said it is finished. There's nothing else you have to do to save yourself from your sin, to cleanse yourself. No, no, no. It's only by the name of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is Believe it and receive it. It is a free gift. It is the exclusivity of Christ. This is what sets Christianity, the Bible, apart from every other worldview and world religion. In fact, let me read you this quote from Mason Jones, who writes for the Gospel Coalition. He says this, The most controversial yet fundamental claim in the Christian faith is that Jesus alone has accomplished everything necessary for the salvation of all who believe in him. 
For this reason, he must be trusted. This doctrine separates Christianity from every other worldview, and it unites every other doctrine within our faith. In other words, the basis for our belief is the one and only name of Jesus. Him and him alone. That's what we have sung about this morning. In fact, Jesus said it very clearly, very plainly. John 14, 6, Jesus said in no uncertain terms, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Through me. Jesus says no one else gets to God except through me. It's not through some other priests, like earthly priests. No, no, no. There's only one mediator. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.5 reiterates this. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So the only one who mediates, who connects us to God, it's no earthly priest. It's no earthly pastor or person. It is one man. It is the man Christ Jesus. This is the message of the gospel, y'all. The finished work of Jesus, the exclusivity of Christ. And and so let me make a a big, broad statement to cover kind of what we're talking about and what we see in Acts chapter 4. Biblical belief is anything but passive. Biblical belief is anything but passive. What I mean is, is this. If you believe in Jesus, if you have a belief or a faith in him, It impacts every single aspect of your life, head, heart, and hands. What I mean is it's not just something you think or you, it's not just a set of ideals you subscribe to, uh, but it's something that grips your heart and it plays itself out in actual, actual actions in your life, head, heart, and hands. If, if If it doesn't produce anything beyond your head, it's only mental assent. It's not biblical belief. So let me put up a picture for you of a sign that I've seen around our area over the last week. Uh, This one is taken from, it's, uh, I stopped on Highway 1 or 2 Notch in Elgin heading towards uh, Sand Hills. I've seen it around the last week, multiple times, so I had to stop yesterday and take a picture. Um, I love the heart behind this, which the heart behind it is there's only one name, right? There's no other name. Jesus is the only one who can save our soul, who can forgive our sins. Love the heart behind that. Don't love the sign. Don't love the sign, because I don't believe this is biblical evangelism. Because here's what it says. If you will say these magic words, forgive my sins, Jesus, save my soul, then boom, all your sins will be gone. And you get to go to heaven. If you would just repeat after me, say these words. I would go so far as to say this, that many, many, many souls have gone to hell with this prayer. People that said, I've prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle, I said these magic words, now I can live like hell. Right? I can do whatever I want because now I'm free. My sins are forgiven. Mm -mm. No, biblical belief. It's not just a head thing. It's not just saying some words. It grips your heart. It roots itself in your heart and it plays out through your life. There's been many, 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 many Christians throughout the ages and in in churches even today. I prayed that prayer. God, forgive my sins, but their life doesn't look like a follower of Christ. 
It hasn't produced any fruit in their life. Why? It's probably because they prayed a prayer, but their heart never changed. Y'all, you know why this is a pet peeve for me? It's because we could so easily orchestrate a service to tweak your emotions, to make you pray a prayer, to make you feel like everything is good with God, but we haven't let the gospel do its heart work inside of you to change you and make you believe in Christ that he is the only way to the Father. That is why I take this so seriously. Because if your heart changes, if the gospel grabs a hold of you, you, you'll say things like this, forgive me, cleanse my soul, because he is the only one who can do that. But you saying, these are magic words. These need to be words that come from a heart. It's much easier to post a sign and say, man, I've done my evangelism. It's a lot harder to come life on life with someone and say, you need Jesus. He's the only one that can save your soul. He's the only one that can cleanse you of your sins. That's a lot harder to do. But biblical belief will lead us there. So let me talk about three things this morning as we kind of just look further into Acts chapter 4. Man, we could spend so much time here. Uh, And there's so many directions we could have gone with this morning. Because what you see in Acts 4 is you see persecution like crazy. This is actually the first instance in the book of Acts where we see persecution hit the church. So we could talk about persecution. We could talk about boldness and, and prayer that, that rattles the walls, which, by the way, we'll talk about in our night of prayer and worship coming up on March 1st. We'll focus in more on that, that section of the chapter. We could talk about unity, which we see in this chapter. So many things here. But what I believe when I look at the, this passage is everything that, that drives all of this and that produces it is all, it, it comes from belief. Biblical belief, biblical belief that causes people to do crazy things, to, to, to be bold with their faith. And so here, here's three things, three ways that belief that touches our head, heart, and hands, three things it does. So first thing is this, belief invites opposition. Belief invites opposition. This is one of the things I hate to talk about because I hate that it's true. Belief invites opposition. We, we saw it in these first 12 verses. For the early church, their opposition was, was persecution. It was like threatening. It was arresting them, questioning them, threatening them. That is what persecution looked like in the early church, that immediately after these 5,000 people are saved, they, they face immediate persecution. So uh, the reason I, I, I like the word opposition is because I believe we all can understand opposition. Like f- opposition means like this opposing force or this resistance. Persecution, like let's be honest, and we've talked about this before, uh, most of us will never have an idea what it means to be persecuted. We, we, we won't be we threaten with our life for believing what we believe. Uh, in fact, the word persecution in 2023, uh, feel, especially in the United States, feels pretty uh, weak and light. Um, like, for instance, this week I was going through my email, and I subscribed to emails from the Gospel Coalition, love their, their content. Uh, but I pulled up my email this week, and, uh, and go ahead and pull that up here. There was this headline that says this, Young men need better than Andrew Tate's masculinity. And I was like, why are they persecuting me? This is ridiculous. <laughs> if y'all don't know who Andrew Tate is, other than me, there's another dude, social media influencer. Don't Google him. Don't look him up. He's not a holy, righteous man by any stretch. Um, in fact, I'm, 
Uh, so I have, the twi- I have the Twitter and Instagram handle, Andrew Tate, because uh, I'm older. I got it first. Uh, I'm squatting on those, those handles and hoping that like, a cool million will come my way. Like, uh, I think he's going to prison or something soon. So that probably won't happen. Um, but I pulled up this email and I was like, man, the enemy is trying to, trying to persecute me. man." Um, and then I saw this other headline this week uh, from a guy who thinks, uh, who's doing the Lord's work. Uh, and is facing persecution. He was arrested, this criminal who was caught after cutting off 37 man buns in one day. Yes, that would be the the Lord's work. (laughs) Man buns, I'm okay with, that's all right. Um, Persecution, this is kind of like what we'd say, like, I'm doing the Lord's work. Why am I getting arrested and put in jail? Um, Where do you go from there? Man buns to the gospel, all right? But here's the thing. When we believe the gospel, when we believe to the degree that we will get serious with our faith, that we will actually do something about it, not cutting off people's hair, we'll do something with our faith. We're so serious about it. We believe it so deeply that we'll do something. It will invite opposition, it will. When we as individuals get serious about it, when we as a church get serious about the gospel, we invite opposition our direction. And you see this from Peter and John. Uh, again, it was in the form of, of persecution, but opposition for us could be external. It could be persecution. It could be people coming uh, at us or shaming us or making uh, us feel little, belittling us, whatever. It might, it might come from the world, friends, family, co-workers. It may be external. It may be internal, right? Us just wrestling with our flesh and our mind. Uh, I found uh, I, I've, I've been experiencing, experiencing opposition even this week, but it's more of my own uh, making where any perceived slight by somebody is like, what are you, why are you opposing me? And yeah, going, that's not what's going on here. Um, ultimately, I, I think it's like the enemy trying to attack and trying to come against what God uh, is, is doing. Uh, and I see it, and I sense it all the time. And I don't think it's any um, coincidence. I didn't talk to Andrew Poston this morning, but the first song we did this morning, "Battle Belongs." Uh, I had to, I just had a hunch this morning. I had to go back on my um, my calendar. Um, two years ago, this month, we were going through a series called "Stand Firm." We were in Ephesians chapter six, talking about spiritual warfare two years ago. We introduced that song during that series, and I couldn't help but think about it again this morning, that God, the more serious we get about the gospel, the more we're going to have to deal with the enemy and opposition. And, and, you know, I talked about perceived slights, that anything that would create disunity in the church and the enemy just continues to come against the church. And so I have to remember, like, God is doing an incredible work. And the more he works and the more active he is, and the more we get serious about the gospel, the more opposition is going to come our way from outside the church, from within the church, from outside of ourselves, from within ourselves. Opposition, resistance, hostility will come. And we see that with, with Peter and, and, and John. And I love how... In, this, in this, this whole story, the Sanhedrin, that Jewish ruling body, man, they're trying to squash the spread of the gospel 
They're trying to, to, to squelch it, and yet the more they try to suppress it, the, 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 the more it fans out in flame, the, the, the more it explodes and takes over. And you see this pattern over and over and over that God works and opposition comes in immediately. Watch that. You'll see it all throughout the book of Acts. God does an amazing thing, saves 5,000 people. Opposition comes. So belief invites opposition. Here, here's a second thing that belief that touches our head, heart, and hands does. It, it produces boldness. It produces boldness. And oh my goodness, we could spend so much time in, in this point alone. Uh, but, but we see here that that Peter and, and John were bold and they were unashamed before this Sanhedrin. Now, again, I want you to picture this. Two men standing in the midst of this group of like the highest of the high, the religious leaders, the 70, this, this whole council threatening, questioning them and threatening them. And here is like the boldness of Peter. He says, I'm going to preach Jesus. I don't care what you do to me. And I want you to, to, to see this uh, as we look at verse number 13. It says, now, when they saw the boldness of, of Peter and, and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, it's, it's not saying that Peter and John were, were ignorant or stupid. It was just saying they were not formally trained like th these religious leaders. And, and so these religious leaders who had gone through this lifetime worth of training are looking at these two men and like, man, they're so bold. What is up with that? Where does that come from? They're, they're uneducated, common people. You know what it says? You know where that boldness comes from? It comes from being with Jesus. It comes from being with Jesus. And what, what I love about this is, is what this says is that God can use anybody who's willing to listen to and follow his son. Doesn't matter how smart, intelligent, how articulate you are, how winsome you are, man, he can, he can use you if, if, if you spend time with Jesus. This is why for the second year in a row, we're promoting this Bible reading plan because our, our hope for, for you, for us, is that we would, we would dig into the scriptures, that we would hear from God, that we would spend time with Jesus because any amount of evangelism training uh, and theology training, man, is not gonna do for you what being with Jesus will do for you. Belief produces boldness. It produces boldness in you. Boldness comes from being with Jesus. Look at verses 14 through 16 as it just kind of continues through the story. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, okay, so he's like standing right there, standing his own two feet, seeing him, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Don't miss these last few words. And we cannot deny it. Like the proof is right here. This guy was healed. Everyone saw it. Everyone sees this man standing. There is nothing that we can do to like deny this. It's clear. And so what this says is that, that there's no argument against a changed life. People may disagree with what you and I believe, 
But man, they cannot argue against a life that has been radically turned upside down because of Jesus. There's nothing you can do but observe and witness and marvel at it. And this is what's happening here. Let's see the response of of, of Peter and, and, and John, verse number 23. Uh, actually, no, 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 no. Let's go back to uh, verse number 19. No, verse number 17. All right, we'll keep backing up here. Verse 17. But in order that it may not spread, uh, that it may spread no further among the people, they didn't want, want to lose power and control, the Sanhedrin. So that it may not spread further, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called him and charged them uh, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. You be the judge of that. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And so they're threatened to no longer preach or proclaim the name of Jesus. And what was their response? They said, hey, listen. We're going to obey our authorities. We are people who are called to live under authority. But if you're calling us to disobey God, we're going to obey God first. And whatever comes, comes. Whatever happens, happens. But we're going to obey God first. And can I remind you, maybe you may have missed this because these names kind of get lost in the shuffle. The names Annas and Caiaphas, some names that were mentioned in that list of those religious leaders, those were two uh, two individuals that were present at the crucifixion of Jesus. And so as, here is Peter and John in the midst of this group. They've already seen what these religious leaders have done to their Lord. They crucified him upon a cross. And here they are questioning them. Whose name are you doing this in? By what power are you doing this? You, you can bet the pressure and the tension was thick. The, the, the pressure to cave, and yet how did they respond? They responded with Holy Spirit-filled boldness. They said, I don't care what you do to me. I'm not going to bow to you. I'm not going to deny the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus and him alone. And they proclaim boldly their faith in Christ Belief produces boldness. And I love, I love how the, uh, the New American Standard Version translates translate this. It says, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Y'all, there was something going on inside of them. They'd seen things and witnessed things, experienced things. They believed deeply within them. That this is what produced boldness to stand in this moment of opposition. Belief produces Boldness. Uh, let, me, let me read verses 23 and 24. Here, here, here's the follow-up to this. And, and again, we don't, we're not going to spend a lot of time in this passage, but here's what happens. They release them, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them and 
they pray this incredible prayer um, that, that is amazing in this moment. Uh, but it says that they went to their friends and, and, and they returned with this report. But, but, but I want you to notice their, the first thing they do. Like, what would you do in this moment? If you came out of this moment of persecution, you've been threatened with your life, you're reporting this back, like you go to your friends, what are you going to do? Uh, I think about for me, here's what I would do. I would probably, first of all, complain. Um, second of all, I would like commiserate. Y'all ever do that? Yes, you do. I know you do. You commiserate. You find somebody who's going to listen to you. Misery loves company. You're going to complain. You're going to commiserate, right? Here's what Peter and John did. They didn't complain. They didn't commiserate. They reported what happened. They called upon the name of the Lord. They called upon the name of the Lord. The very first thing they did was they prayed. They brought it before God. And I want, I want you to drop down to, to verse number 29. Here's like really the heart of their prayer. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Like, what do you think they're going to say here? Like, okay, this is cool that they gathered together and they prayed. Um, man, that's more spiritual than, than I am, right? They prayed. But what did they pray? Lord, look upon their threats. What would you pray? I would pray maybe one of two or three things. Number one, I'd be like, Lord, kill them, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wipe them out. Deal with them. Remove my enemy. That would be, that would probably, honestly, the first, the first thing, if I'm being honest. The second thing might be, if I'm more spiritual, Lord, protect me from persecution. Protect me. Or, Lord, like, bring me relief from what I'm experiencing. Lord, look upon their threats. It's not what they prayed. Verse number 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, while you do your work, while you do your signs and wonders and perform those through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Like their prayer was, was not God protect us, not God deal with them. It was, God, you've heard the threats. You see what I'm facing. God, help me to continue to be bold. God, help me in the face of threats to stand up for your name. When I, I very well know I could lose my life in this moment. God, help me to continue to speak your word with boldness. Y'all, that is an amazing prayer that I, can't, I don't even get but that was, that was produced because they had this, this deep faith within them. They had been with Jesus, and it gave them boldness. It gave them boldness. Verse 30 and 31, or verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Y'all, this is a prayer that I, I promise you, God will answer. You pray, God, give me boldness. Like every other prayer request for comfort or ease, you pray this prayer, he will answer this prayer. God, give me boldness to continue to speak your word. But how often do we pray that prayer? How often do I pray that prayer? We don't pray that prayer, but belief, listen, biblical belief in the person, the work of Jesus produces boldness. Boldness. Belief compelled them to, to boldly speak, to boldly act, to boldly pray. They wouldn't have done any of this, y'all, if they didn't believe, if their souls weren't sold out to this one who died and rose for them. So 
belief invites opposition. It produces boldness. Third and final thing here, we'll hit this quick. Belief brings unity. Belief brings unity. Verses 32 and 33, so the place is shaken where they're praying. God fills them with the Holy Spirit. They continue to speak the word with boldness. Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in in common. They were selfless. They were sharing everything. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, which, by the way, the thing that makes your testimony powerful is when your testimony points to the resurrection of Jesus. All right, this is where they experienced great power. And it says, and great grace was upon them all. And so you see in this passage, and again, we won't spend much time here. You see shared heart and soul, and they were unified around the gospel. There was shared stuff. It said there was no needy person amongst them. They were looking out, caring for, for one another. There was great power, um, and then there was great grace. We sang about good grace today, but scriptures say that there was great grace that was upon them. It was empowering them to do all that they did. And just as a quick note in passing, verse 36, it introduces us to uh, a man named Barnabas, uh, which means son of encouragement. He will be a big player in the the gospel spreading throughout the book of Acts. And so uh, I just want to mention his name as we pass through here. But but let me kind of summarize what we see this morning about biblical belief. It's anything but passive. It is anything but passive. It invites opposition. It produces boldness. And it brings unity. And what I want to say is I love where we're at as a church. I love what God is doing. Uh, I hate opposition. But I feel it more and more. The, The more serious we as a church get about the gospel, the more opposition I sense. Uh... My prayer is that it will produce in us boldness. Uh, But here's what I've been seeing over the last year plus, is that it it continues to bring more and more unity to us, that we're not united around looking the same, acting the same, speaking the same, but we're like-minded, that our minds are of, of one heart and one soul, unified around the gospel. And so I love what God is doing here. And, and I just want to ask a question as we close this morning. Biblical belief is anything but passive. What kind of faith, what kind of belief do you possess? Is it active or is it passive? Is it active or is it passive? My hope again is that God would produce something in us the more seriously we take the gospel, the more time that we spend with Jesus, is that he'll produce boldness, holy boldness in us, that he will continue to bring gospel unity to our church. But that all comes as we unite ourselves around the name that is above all names. There is only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. 
And it's at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day. And I just want to invite you all, if you've never confessed that name, if you've never believed, I don't care if you've prayed a prayer, have you ever believed in your heart that Jesus is the one and only way? If you haven't, the invitation is open to you. The invitation is open to you. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, thank you for that name. Lord, we worship you because of that name. We worship you because of what you have done. Lord, we want a holy boldness that we could never manufacture. We could never work hard enough to attain. Lord, it's produced by being with you. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is wherever we're at, if our faith has been more passive, Lord, would you wake us up? God, would you wake us up to the beauty and the power of your name? God, we need you. We want you. God, we ask that you would do something in us and in our church that when the world looks on and says, mm, how are you doing this? How is this happening? By what power, by what name is this taking place that we could say with unified hearts and souls, there's no other name, it's Jesus. And so God, thank you that you are a good God, that you are a God full of grace and forgiveness. This morning we lift our hearts in our voices to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.